The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, here's your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. Welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. I'm a businesswoman, not a politician. I fix problems. I don't make them. And you know, when two parties come together to do a deal in my world, success is measured by what each side gains. In the private sector, we don't do deals that are heads I win, tails you lose. We walk away from such situations. We do deals in which both parties to a transaction negotiate with an understanding that to get a good deal means that both parties will need to compromise. Until the last 10 years, things worked pretty much that way between Republicans and Democrats in the Congress of the United States and the legislatures of most of our states. But over the last 10 years, the most extreme elements of both of our major political parties have chosen confrontation over compromise. They've sought power rather than persuasion. Joe Biden campaigned for president, promising to end the gridlock and to work across the aisle to make life better for the American people. The newly agreed to infrastructure framework is a sign of hope that he can deliver on that campaign promise. I'm not ready to follow Joe out for that celebratory ice cream. It's not a deal until the concept is turned into legislative language by the committees of jurisdiction brought to the floor of the Senate and the House, debated, amended, and then passed. But I have found myself daydreaming a couple of times about walking three blocks to the Dairy Queen for one of my favorite summer treats, a chocolate milkshake, chocolate all around. I'm going to have that milkshake the day President Biden signs the bipartisan infrastructure bill into law. If the infrastructure framework agreed to by the president and a bipartisan group of senators can overcome the remaining hurdles to become law, it will be one of the most consequential infrastructure deals done since, oh, for instance, the interstate highway system that was passed into law during the Eisenhower administration three quarters of a century ago. The outlines of the deal are a good compromise with both material and moral benefits for the whole nation. The removal and replacement of all the remaining lead pipes from drinking water systems throughout the country is both a moral imperative and long overdue. Remediation and expansion of mass transit systems will reduce the commuting burden on millions of American workers and reduce the pollution emitted by automobile exhaust pipes stalled on outdated and crumbling roadways. Repairing and expanding those very roadways. This 
infrastructure proposal is the largest investment in bridge repairs and bridge reconstruction in our entire history. Expanding and reconfiguring roadways to accommodate modern traffic, not just more traffic, but larger vehicles, calling for the development of new construction materials with less negative environmental impact. That's a challenge to American ingenuity and industry, a challenge I'm sure they can meet and that we can export to other countries. Strengthening our national electric grid. Right now, we are watching it be demonstrated to be at its breaking point, both summer and winter. Expanding the grid to accommodate new sources of energy, as well as upgrading safety and resilience is essential. But even more urgent is securing the grid against cyber attacks. The framework calls for restoration and strengthening of our waterways and water storage systems. Those systems are threatened by changing weather patterns and rising seawater. We can repurpose oil and gas crews that have been furloughed to projects aimed at eliminating deadly methane emissions from abandoned oil and gas wells. We can remove coal slag heaps that threaten inland waterways and damage our forests and, and take away needed farmland. The framework calls for the creation of the first permanent infrastructure financing authority, an authority that can facilitate the development of public-private partnerships, thereby increasing the investment dollars available for infrastructure development by a ratio of as much as one public dollar to three private capital investment dollars. There's lots more in the framework, but you kind of get the idea of the big shots here. This framework is big, it's important, and it's vital to our economic competition with China. The proposal as outlined is a good deal for Americans. It's far from perfect, but perfect was a missed opportunity in 2017 when the Trump tax bill could have included one-time funding for a national infrastructure bank. If you want to know what that could have done, well, you'll find the answer at reimagineamerica.org by doing a search there on infrastructure. But you know what? That was 2017, and today is 2021. So we're going to do the best we can with what we have. Both the United States Chamber of Commerce and the Business Roundtable have endorsed the infrastructure framework and have committed to help explain the proposal and to sell it to the American people through strategic advertising campaigns. President Biden has hit the road to help sell the deal after some early momentary stumbles. The bipartisan House Problem Solvers Caucus has endorsed the proposal. You know what? That's 29 Republicans and 29 Democrats who've all come together to work on this deal and to endorse the proposal and who are now already working with the 21 senators to help make it law. The framework is a long-term investment. 
you know, it's rolled out over the next 10 years. And that kind of long-term investment generates its own velocity. It's going to result in real growth, permanent growth in the American economy. It's solid, structural improvement. It's not an ephemeral stimulus. Once the framework begins to roll out into projects, it will create millions of good paying jobs, journeyman style union jobs, 90% of which do not require a four-year college degree. Jobs that will create a demand for millions more service sector jobs. 75% of the total jobs created by this infrastructure, by the way, require no college. As I said, it will create millions. You know, if you create one really good union job, that union job creates a demand for millions of more jobs in our service sector, from the lunch counter sandwich maker to the chef in a really good restaurant that special occasion restaurant, to hairdressers, retail stores. You know what? There could be enough demand created by this infrastructure proposal to generate as much as four or five trillion with a T dollars of additional gross domestic product. That is long-term economic growth. That's economic growth our children can count on. There will be even more economic growth if the framework's focus on buy American to build American is included in the legislation, because that means more steel jobs, more heavy equipment manufacturing jobs, more pipes made in America, and so on. In addition, there's a big plus for scientific and technical innovation resulting from the demand for better building materials delivered more quickly with less threat to our climate. The framework is paid for. What a novel concept, paying for something without raising taxes. One thing it does is it closes the high-end tax gap. That's the delta between high income earners taxes paid to the treasury and what they really owed. You know, if if you don't get all your income from uh, W-2, but you get it from investments, et cetera, it's easier to hide income from the IRS. The Treasury Inspector General issued a report in 2020 that estimated the Delta for the period 2011 to 2013 was during that period, the difference between what was paid by the top 1% to what should have been paid by the top 1% was 441 billion with a B dollars for those three years alone. If that number is accurate and recoverable, the IRS improved auditing and collection program could pay for the whole infrastructure program. But just in case, the framework also relies on repurposing COVID relief funds that were appropriated by Congress but not spent by the agencies. It does create some targeted corporate user fees. For example, airlines contributing to airport expansions as Delta Airlines recently did at their Salt Lake City hub. It will result 
in higher general fund tax receipts because those are income tax receipts that will be re generated from more workers who are making better wages. That means they will pay more in taxes. And at the very same time, they will pay their so-called payroll taxes, which will take some of the pressure off the Medicare and Social Security trust funds, which are running out of money. With all this positive energy, and really good government policy that's going for the infrastructure framework, why is there still so much concern, so much anxiety, so much worry that this bill, like others in the Bush and Obama administrations, will never become law? Well, the worry is about internecine political warfare between the two parties in Congress and within each party between the two caucuses in that party. Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy are just looking for an opportunity to stop this legislation in its tracks. Tangible results American voters can feel and see are bad midterm politics for the party that specializes only in perceived grievance. But the greatest risk to this legislation on this day after the 4th of July three-day holiday comes not from the Republicans in the House and the Senate. Enough of them have endorsed the project to get it over the 60 vote threshold in the Senate and to pass it with a good majority in the House. The biggest risk comes from Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer who are threatening to force this proposal into a budget reconciliation bill to provide some cover for new social spending the country cannot afford. Initiatives where current needs could be met with small increases in funding to current mandated federal social programs. Programs like Head Start, Medicaid for Medicare dual eligible eligibles, plus new democratic initiatives, which should in fact be driven at the state level with minimum federal guidance. Policies on family leave need to be generated by the state so that they fit the economy of that state. Childcare centers are a state responsibility. The density of them, the location of them, that's not something that should be mandated by Washington, D.C. Senior centers, mandatory pre-K, which California can fund out of its surplus this year. Free community college, which California will also fund out of its own surplus this year. Those are all programs that are laudable. They need federal guidance, but they've got to be driven by the states. And, you know, if you try to put those those things, the budget reconciliation and the infrastructure framework together, it's not gonna pass. So this is a problem that only President Joe Biden can fix. And Biden first needs to be honest. Yep, honesty is the best policy. Social safety net programs are not human infrastructure. They are social safety net programs. Let's call them what they are. They need to either ride or fall on their own merit 
not by magically twisting words to make the spending more palatable. The infrastructure framework is a time-fenced, renewable 10-year program. The social spending is a permanent expansion of the non-discretionary mandatory spending in the federal budget. That will force more borrowing and generate more interest payments that squeeze out national security, basic scientific research and development, and sacrifice our global competitiveness just at a moment when we face an increasing global threat by China. The social spending proposed by the progressive wing of the Democratic Party isn't even supported by many of the more central members, centrist members of the United States Senate, many of whom actually have to face the voters in 2022. So, Joe, with all your, I'm sorry, President Biden, with all your voting and vote counting experience, you know that combining these two buckets of spending in any any way risks the necessary majorities in both the House and the Senate needed to pass either of the proposals or both of them. Next, after you stop using the term human infrastructure and get real about what we're proposing, what the Democratic tiny, itty-bitty, slim, three-vote majority in the House is proposing? Well, then next you need to sit down with Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and tell them politely but firmly to shut up. There's a reason that you, Joe Biden, are in the White House and neither of them ever will be. Eh, Actually, there are several reasons, but that's not germane. Last President Biden, you need to sit down with Nancy and Chuck and explain to them a 50-50 Senate, a three-vote majority in the House is not a mandate. It's their job to make sure that the infrastructure framework, which is tangible, which has an immediate positive economic benefit that will deal with the concerns about high unemployment in the country at the moment, it's their job to make sure that that infrastructure framework becomes law. Then and only then will it be time to bring up a budget reconciliation bill, a bill which is both realistic in size and scope. You and I, the average voter, we need to help President Biden to achieve this goal, the passage of the infrastructure framework into a meaningful 2021 law. We need to help President Biden by contacting our representatives in the House and both of our senators, I don't care which party, and urging them to vote for real, real economic growth, the real infrastructure framework, because It does what earlier Congresses and presidents have always done. It helps all the American people to build a more prosperous, safe, and resilient nation. Thanks for listening to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. 
You can learn more at reimagineamerica.org. Got a comment or an idea for a future show? Email Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or find her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy or at Reimagine Radio. Take a minute now and go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you love the podcast, donate and tell others. You can invite Joyce to speak at your next meeting or conference through reimagineamerica.org. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at ricochet.com or c-sweetnetwork.com. That's c-sweetnetwork.com. Together, we really can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.